It's just been a week, has it not? Forever. I don't know if anybody else feels this way, so I'm going to be really transparent as we kind of start in. But uh, what I love about Revelation song is there's a, a moment in that, and there's a, a verse. And I just want to read this just because, again, this is how I framed my mind this morning. And this has nothing to do with Act 2, but it says, I looked, and behold, right in front of me I saw a vast multitude of people, an enormous multitude, so huge that no one could count. I love this. It says that it was made up of victorious ones from every nation, tribe, people, group, and language. They were standing before the throne shouting and crying out with a passionate voice, salvation belongs to our God, seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And I love this imagery. And I want you to think about that this morning as we enter into the word that that this is happening even in the midst of today, that we are being joined. It says all the angels joined in, standing in a circle around the throne, and the elders, they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God, singing praise and glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power and might belong to our God forever and ever. And I don't know about you, but there's just moments in life where you just don't feel like a victorious one. And so it's been one of those weeks for me. And I know it has been for you or some of you because a room this size, there's just people that's just had a really hard week. And so I just want to welcome you into this space. And I pray that God does something amazing. My prayer this morning when I hit the floor was, God, will you do something amazing in this space today? I've got something that, that's really exciting to tell you as we kind of draw the curtain this morning on on act two, and, and, and I just said, God, we anticipate you doing something. And then I went a step farther. I said, God, I expect you to do something today. And so we're going to enter into to teaching time today with just a, an anticipation and expectation for God to really begin to open up some things in our lives individually and collectively. You guys good for that? Good. All right, well, let's pray and we'll get going. Father, this morning we just... Uh, we want these next few minutes to be about you and your church and the call that you've called us into and, and this, this beautiful, beautiful movement known as the church. And Father, may we begin to evaluate our lives individually because the way that we stack our lives individually will determine how effective we are collectively. And so can we begin to, to stop and evaluate where it is that we are and where it is that you're wanting us to go and how it is and what it is that you want us to build our lives, not just on Sunday morning, but through the week and, and who it is that you're, you're putting us in community with. And God, may all of these things begin to take life of its own and may it begin to transform us and may it begin to transform our communities. And God, there's so much riding on this, on us being the church in this generation. And so, Father, can we just grab that this morning? That, God, there's, it's not a burden, but it's a blessing that we get to step into, and there's, there's a lot riding on it. Father, there are people in our, our, li our lives that are, are dependent on the message of Jesus for breakthrough, and they're, they're, they're waiting on this hope and this, this mercy and this message of of, of of grace, God, and, and we're the ones to carry it. And so, Father, I pray that we feel the weight of that, but we also step into that knowing that you don't ever leave us to do this on our own. And so, Father, we just pray that your spirit would continue to empower us as it did the ones in Acts 1 when they had no clue, at least we have some clue what this is supposed to look like. They had no clue. 
but they courageously stepped into it. And so, Father, I pray that you give us that spirit as well, that you would empower us with courage, with passion, enthusiasm. God, that you would put on each of our lives a calling. And it may not be to stand on a stage, but it may be to to sit around a table or to, to be a part of a workspace or a school where we get to be about the message of your son and all that that entails. And Father, may we fall in love with these moments, this movement, and people. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. I just want to say it one more time. I love the church for all of its pitfalls sometimes. And, you know, and anytime you, you collectively put a group of people together, there's stuff that happens. Am I right? There are just things and personalities and there are, there are moments that you got to deal with and those are messy and, and sometimes we, we look and we look at the lives of, of someone that is a church person and because they don't have it all together, we automatically assume that everybody and everything about the church is that and, 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 and it's not, and I, but I love it. I love the church. I love what the church represents in communities. I love that every week without exception, Somebody comes in our offices because it says church looking for hope. And that hope sometimes is being asked in, do you have food or can you help me with this? Or uh, we have people that just come by and say, you know, I don't know where else to go. Can you guys pray with me? And, and we do that. And, and, and they're not visiting the salon next door and asking for those things. They're visiting our office because it says church. And I love of what, the, the representation, the embodiment of what it's supposed to be in our communities. I love that, that it's not just a place we come, but it's a movement. And if you haven't been here for Act 2, I'm going to kind of just give you a, a real quick blitz review. What we've seen is that the, the church, the ecclesia, and that's just the word that Jesus used first and it's used throughout the New Testament and Acts and, and some of the letters, that this ecclesia really means movement. It was never meant to be a place that we just gather on Sunday mornings, we do a few things and we leave, and then we go back into our lives. No, it was something that it moves throughout our lives. So it carries with us into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's this movement. And we said movements move. And so this movement begins to to center around a mission. And the mission Jesus makes really clear right out of the gate He comes to the early disciples and followers and he says, listen, so that there's no confusion on what this is about, here it is, that you are going to to receive the Spirit. The Spirit of God is going to dwell among you and in you, and it's for a very specific reason, and here it is, to witness me, to be my witness, to go and tell people what you've seen and what you've heard and what you have witnessed the transformation that you have received in your own life, the the reconciliation, the the salvation, and and the things that continue, these, these components of community and all of these things. He says, go and be my witness. So when you encounter someone in your community that really doesn't seem to have it together, that really seems like, you know what, they have lost all hope in life, you get to step into those moments and say, life, as bad as it may be, There's something more. There's something better. His name is Jesus, and he's here to offer you salvation and grace. And and it's not just for for some far-off place. No, that Jesus can begin to transform life now. It's not just about heaven. 
And I love this. And they say, you know what, it's the resurrection. So they begin to, to testify that if you doubt this, what some thought was a crazy man named Jesus, they say, well, let me tell you where the power comes from. You saw it with your own eyes. He was crucified, buried, and rose again. And so this resurrection gives it this authority and power. And then as we begin to unfold that community and begin to see in its early days how it began to shape, it's, it's, it's wildly simplistic and basic. They begin to pray these bold, room-shaking even, prayers. God, will you do something through us and for us that, that will absolutely turn communities upside down? Then they step into that. They, they step into boldly living in community. It was these merging cultures coming together that should not have, uh, in any other sphere of their life, casual or formal, recreational, relational, they should not have been in the, in the same spaces, community that was, should have been fragmented. That's what, that's what the Romans and the Greeks, all of these communities that they were stepping into, it was a very fragmented culture, diverse, but it was segregated. But yet then the church, you begin to see a snapshot of that, and it's this beautiful collection of people. So we've got two weeks left, and these are two big weeks. Today is the first day that I'm really going to give you a peek. We're going to lift the curtain, staying in, 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 in kind of conjunction with Act 2 and this whole theater-type thing where we have intermission and we reset and we do some things. I've given you some little practical things along the way, but today I really want to spell out some things. These are tangible things. These are some things that, that when we showcase them in just a minute, you're going to walk away and know exactly what we're doing and where we're going. You, you're going to know exactly what it is that, that we are calling you and encouraging you and urging you into individually, but also collectively. So today is that day where we're going to say, you know what, these are, these are some non-negotiables for Wellhouse. We're getting ready to start year five, and we want to we set this fall up saying, here's what we're going to be about. So if you're new today, it's a perfect day for you to be here because you're really going to see what it is that is the heartbeat of this place. These are going to be staples in our lives. And if you're going to be a part of Wellhouse, you need to look at individually and collectively and say, how is it that I can begin to use these things to begin building a foundation that allows us to build a church that's even going to be more effective in our community in the days to come than it has been over the last four years. And here's where this comes from. I'm not going to throw a lot of text up there today. I've already thrown three weeks up there or four weeks up there now, and you've seen this, but let me just give you a snapshot. If you were to continue to read the rest of Acts, and then you begin to read some of the letters that a guy named Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, whose conversion, who has this moment with Jesus in the middle of Acts and changes his name from Saul to Paul, he begins to plant churches, a lot like ours, in these wildly diverse communities and, and cultures, and all of these things are happening, and you've got clashing opinions and politics and all these kinds of things, very much like what we're dealing with in our culture right now. And so Paul begins to write letters to these places, these churches, and he's encouraging them along the way. And the theme of every single one of these letters in some way, form, or fashion is remember what it is you started out doing. So when he writes to Corinth, he says, remember what you started out doing. Philippians, remember what you started out doing. It was all, these, it was all the makeup of, of saying, remember what the movement's about. And so if you begin to read Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, they are snapshots 
of the church. And those churches were not all alike. Those churches were in various places dealing with various cultures. Philippians was not dealing with the same culture as Colossians. And Rome was not dealing with the same as Corinth and all of these different things. So you have these various places, cultures, people, groups, and time. But you begin to see if you read through them, which we don't have time today to read through all of those. So you can do that this week. You're going to to see very similar things begin to surface up to the top of every single one of these. And here's what, what it's not. You're going to see that it was never about a building. You're going to see that it was never about leveraging platforms for your own personal gain. There was never a moment where Jesus, the church, the gospel was meant to leverage something for your own agenda, for your own personal gain, for your own way of thinking and doing things. It it, it wasn't this, and I think sometimes this is the snapshot we get. It wasn't a movement that suddenly found itself passively sitting, huddled in these little rooms and caves and caverns, going, I sure hope Jesus comes soon because it doesn't feel real safe right now. It was never this passive organization that went, you think Jesus will come back soon because I've had about all I can take and I I just, I I don't know if I could do any more of this. And and, and it was never these huddles where it was like, I want to be shielded from all this bad stuff that's going on. And so let's just pray that Jesus comes soon. Meanwhile, we're going to kind of ignore and act like everything else doesn't exist. Safety was never the concern. No, what I see is this, that it was active. It was alive. It thrived. It was visible. It was recognizable. It was distinguished. Everybody in the community, whether it was a a, a part of or whether it was an opposition of, they knew what the church was about. And whether you got on board or whether you you were a little bit skeptical, you knew. When you saw the church, you saw the church and you knew. Because it had something about it that was attractive. It had something about it that was transformational. It, it, It was this, if I could sum it up in a phrase, look at this. They were being the church all the time, everywhere. That nothing was off limits. And as a result of that, we begin to see it was exploding in these communities. And furthermore, it was doing this. It was creating a culture shift like the world had never seen, and we are still feeling the effects of it. The fact that you are here this morning, that you put some sort of value or you took some sort of risk this morning to be a part of this community, says that the early church was so recognizable and so passionate about what they were doing that there was nothing that could stop it. And here we are 2,000 years later still living into this. And so they were being the church all the time, everywhere. And it didn't matter whether they were in Jerusalem or Thessalonica or Antioch or Damascus or Rome or Greece 
It didn't matter where they were. They were being the church in this organic state that it was displayed in those early chapters of Acts. It was a movement based on a man who rose from the dead. And in that authority and power by overcoming death, he offers something the world simply cannot. And so it became obvious. And it took on these characteristics that incited change, not just individually in people's lives, but it changed homes. It changed workspaces. It changed communities. It incited change within the context of culture. It inspired people. It stirred. Here's one of the things I love about the church is that it shakes the very foundation of status quo. And I think you're going to identify with this. This was some of the things that were happening. I think a lot of people look at our culture, and, and there were people speaking into their culture that says, listen, it's just the way it is. And so we began to feel the tension, and we began to kind of head bump some of these things. And we say and we dismiss on, well, that's just the norm. That's just the norm. You know, marriages don't last, and that's just the norm. You know, people just segregate and mistreat each other for a very, it's just the norm. You know, I mean, really being sacrificial and intentional, I mean, that's not who we are. I mean, we live in a, a world of, of let's, let's build our own empires, and that's just the norm. And they were dealing with some of these same cultures that were being created. It's like, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And I think we've bought into some of those same things. Like, you know what? It's just as good as it is. It is what it is. And so, again, we huddle. and We bury our heads and all these sorts of things. And as I look throughout those cultures, those times, those places, I keep seeing the same things pop up. And they were cultures that were being created inside of cultures, shaping cultures like ours. So, before I give you the list, here's what I want you to know. You have a role in this. I have a role in this. We have a role in this. See, we have been given a specific place, a specific time. We, too, are called to be the church. So here's, here's the question. Do we want that? And do we believe that it can still happen? Do we want this unique movement that shapes cultures within cultures? Do we want this movement that can be so contagious and so inspiring that it begins to shape not only my life, but it begins to shape my marriage, begins to shape my workspaces, begins to shape my neighborhoods, begins to shape my schools, it begins to shape who it is and what it is that I chase in life. It begins to really not just be something I consider doing on Sundays, but it really begins something that I crave throughout the week. Do we want that? And here's the good news. We got the same spirit. We got the same message. We got the same Jesus that turned the world upside down and has been doing it ever since. So the question is, do we want to continue to see our cultures, our worlds turn upside down? So I'm going to make this really practical today. 
We'll probably come back to these things, and we're going to build a whole series around these things. But here we go. I'm going to give you seven. We think seven is a biblical number. Come back next week, and you'll see just how biblical we think this number is. Seven is a godly number. I want to give you seven culture-defining statements. These are we statements. And so when I, when I set these up, I want you to know that, that it's not just on you. There's going to be some individual aspects to this, but it's, these are we statements. These are, these are things we do together. We're journeying together. We have to decide individually, but how we decide individually will also affect or affect the effectiveness of us collectively. So here we go. Number one, we make Jesus the center of it all. Because I want you to know, that well house, it begins and ends right there. That if there's ever moments that Jesus is not at the center of something, then we have veered off track. And as I begin to see again through the rest of Acts, as I begin to look in Colossians, Philippians, you know, Ephesians, all the way down these early churches, it is very evident, very fast, very clear that Jesus is at the center of everything we do. Now notice, we put Jesus at the center I think sometimes we, we treat, and, and when I say we, I'm here, like a cafeteria tray. And, and sometimes he's kind of like, in order to get my food, the whole tray, I've got to take everything that's on the tray. That's how I grew up. You know, I, I grew up in, in a school system where you didn't have options. You, you went through the line. Anybody else? You went through the line, and you got one of everything, whether you thought you needed it or not. And sometimes we treat... Jesus kind of like the jello with the marshmallows in it that you don't really know what to do with, but it's got to go on the tray somewhere. You know you kind of sort of have to have it, and so you just kind of stick it up here and make sure, here was the goal, make sure it doesn't what? Touch anything else. I need him there. I don't need him to touch anything. Stay off my pizza square. (laughs) Stay off my fries. I see you. If I need you, if I want to get risky today, if I'm extra hungry, I might take a spoonful, but I don't need you to touch anything else. I think sometimes we treat Jesus like that. Or better yet, we do this. We vending, vending machine him. God, I've had a really hard week. Give me some Jesus. Oh, I got a really bad, bad diagnosis at the doctor. Throwing a couple quarters, and out comes Jesus. Guys, we got to put Jesus at the center of this thing. And notice we said we want to make Jesus the center of it all. That there got to be these moments where we don't hold anything back from Jesus. That Jesus, everything, we want your hands on it all. That there is nothing off limits. And sometimes, here's, here's for me, and again, just some of the hardest things for me to give Jesus are the things I need him in the most, the things I struggle with. And it's crazy. You know, I let Jesus in on the easy things sometimes. But the real darkness and ugliness of my heart sometimes, where I really need him to take hold the most, I just, it's almost like I don't want him to see those. And I'm learning The more my relationship grows, it has to begin to seep into the dark places, the ugly places, the easy places, the hard places. It has to become this this 
lifestyle where he runs not just through everything, he runs everything. I mean, after all, all things were created by him and for him. And so at Wellhouse, in my life personally, but collectively, we make Jesus the center of it all. And then coming from that, we are going to worship passionately. Now, before anybody gets antsy, I'm not going to tell you what that has to look like. But I am going to tell you where it has to come from. We're never going to prescribe what worship needs to look like in your life and how it's going to manifest itself in your life or in this space, in these chairs. But we know that it has to come from, number one, where we make Jesus the center of it all. Worship is more than singing. I think sometimes we think, well, the worship portion of service this morning was really good. If somebody asked you last night, what are you doing in the morning? Oh, I'm going to go to worship. But as I begin to look and explore these kinds of things, that it's more than what I see. It's more than what I see from the outside. It's more than just a public thing. I begin to see worship not just take form in a public space, but I begin to see it start in private places. And so what I'm saying is this, is that our daily lives have to align with our public display. So my question is, how passionate are you going to be tomorrow as you are this morning? See, sometimes we, we gear ourselves up and we come to what we consider worship. We come to church and then we, we have this release. It's like, whew, okay, there it is, God. See you next week. And God says, well, how about, how about we spend that same passionate time on Monday as we did yesterday? I, that's, I can't tell you, and again, this is just me being really honest, how crappy some of my weeks have been. And I come into this place, and I leave every single Sunday, most of the time, feeling great about life because of what I experience in this intentional, carved-out time that we call worship. And I think God smacks me upside the head sometimes and says, Jason, if, if you leave Sunday feeling better, don't you think I can do that same thing on Monday? What if you begin, Jason, to carve out some time on Wednesday when things really begin to hit the fan, when you get some bad news or when work has been more than you? Don't you think that if you were to set some intentional time and do what it is that you did on Sunday, I can also do that on Thursday? That's what Paul talks about. Rome was struggling with this concept. What's worship? See, because in their culture, it was a, a temple that you went to and you did a certain thing, you, you gave, you, you, you exchanged a few things, and then you left, and then guess what? You Periodically, you come back and do that again, and Paul says, let's pull the plug on this for a second. Hold up. Let's reimagine this. So Paul writes to the Romans, and he just says, listen. He says, brothers and sisters, he says, listen. By the mercies of God, he says, I urge you, I beg you to present your bodies. That's you, everything that is you. That's what? A living sacrifice. He says, make it holy and pleasing to God, he says, and this is your spiritual worship. He says, listen, if you want to know what worship's about, he says, present your life, your bodies. I don't do anything outside of my body. I come into this space with my body. 
I'm going to go to work with my body. I'm going to go to a ball game with my body. I'm going to go to school. He says, listen, take this spirit, this concept with you. Make sure that whatever you're doing with your body is pleasing and holy and acceptable. All these things. He says, that's worship. He says, I know this is going to be hard. He says, don't be, don't be conformed by the world. But he says, renew your mind in such a way that when life really hits you and you say, man, it'd be nice to go to church today, he says, you can. Because you can stop in that moment and just live in that moment and allow God to, again, reign in those moments by the renewing of your mind. And he says, and here's what's going to happen. You will be able to discern in those moments what is good. What is pleasing? What is perfect? So as I begin to read this throughout the New Testament church, here's what I see. If I want to please God, I don't just show up to worship. No. I live out worship. And it's what I do on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Worship captures not just this ideal of reverence and adoration at a certain place, at a certain time, but it begins to cover the entire range of my existence. So whether I'm in here singing, praying, serving, whether I'm at work or at school or at play, worshiping is a natural extension of everything I do because it's who I am. It's who I was created to be. And so I worship passionately. And it looks the same in my heart, whether again... Whatever it is I'm doing, it's just this overflow. Third, we're going to, we are better together. I don't know any other way to say this. Guys, that is a fact of life. That we are better together. If we're honest, we don't stand a chance on our own. World and work and everything else, stress and emotions and everything else will chew us to pieces if we try to handle and tackle and, and navigate everything alone. Here's the truth in it. You are not designed to live alone. Now, you may be an introvert and you have limits. I have those. I don't need to be around people all the time, every day, the whole deal. But I'm going to tell you, there are moments where if I didn't have somebody, I don't know if I could survive it. And the truth is this, we are better together. Collectively as a group, we can accomplish more. We can carry larger burdens. It's this, this, it, it, we're just not designed to live alone. We were made for community. Let me give you a, a quick snapshot of this. I saw one of the most beautiful displays of community I've seen in quite a while last night. We had uh, one of our couples get married, uh, Anna and Brian. Anna sings uh, quite a bit with us, so you, you probably would recognize Anna. Uh, Brian has a fantastic mustache. Uh, it's, it's, it is just fantastic that he shaved last night for the wedding. But, but here's what I saw is that they are better together. And then you begin to zoom the layers out. The wedding was performed, officiated, by Aaron and Clayton, who are their house group leaders. Beautiful. Then you begin to zoom out even farther. The dance floor was filled with house group members. And things were being done and helped along the way 
showers got thrown and all sorts of things happened in this collective community, that moment last night was better together. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. Give the together a chance. Today, we're starting house groups. We're starting house group signups. Some of you just panicked. You're like, I don't think I'm starting house group today. <laughs> we're starting house groups on the 29th. Some of you are like, that was not on my schedule. My house is disaster. Um, but we're starting on the 29th, but we're starting signups today. When you go out today, you're not going to be able to miss. So here's what I want you to do. If you're not in a house group, in fact, just uh, impromptu, look at whoever's beside of you and just ask one question. Are you in a house group? All right, now if they said no, you can show them where this is at afterwards or invite them to yours. But guys, we believe that strongly, that we are better together. We believe in community. And I get that we're all in here together. I get that. But you're really going to begin to feel a different level of connection. And you're going to grow at a whole different level, both socially but spiritually, when you connect to a house group. I told our group this morning, I said, here's my goal. I want 75%. I would love 110%. That means we're all involved in a house group and we're inviting people. But I want seven, I would love to see at the end of that six weeks that 75 or 80% of you were in a house group somewhere because I believe it matters that much. Why? Because we're better together. There'll be things that you will encounter over the next eight weeks that you, you are going to say, man, I wish I had somebody get in that house group because we are better together. We do things better. We are, we, we just, we're designed that way. Number four, I'm going to speed these up because like I said, we're going to come back and do a series on these. But we live generously. As we lift that curtain, number four is we live generously. Now, I want you to notice that that's an L, not a G. It's not we just give generously. Let me tell you why. Giving's easy. I can give a 20 or I can write a $20,000 check, whatever it is in between all that. I can give that and not think anything else about it and go on my way. That's easy. And while we encourage generous giving, because we believe that is worship, we believe that it is a sign of trust in our God, we want to extend it farther than that. We live generously. Living generously requires intentionality. Giving, while we would love for you to think about it and pray through it and all those sorts of things, there are some of us this morning that will, will walk out the door and go, oh, yeah, there's those red boxes and there's nothing intentional about it. But for me to live generously means I've got to stop and slow down and think about. It means that I might have to sacrifice. And here's the other part of living generously. Living generously is messy. Living generously means that i got to stop looking for everything to bless me, and I've got to start looking at how I can bless you. And there is a distinct difference in those two. I think sometimes we look and go, all right, how's God going to bless me this week? And when God says what he's really trying to say to you is live generously and see how you can bless somebody this week. And so as Wellhouse, we're going to continue to do this. And we've said this from day one, that we're going to be wildly generous in our communities. And we have done that. I saw people yesterday at Salty Dog come and live generously. 
handing out snow cones to kids all day long in the heat. And I saw how a snow cone given in a spirit of generosity incites a smile. I can't tell you how many people I stood there and watched and they, they, people took money out. They went to pay and we're like, no, it's, it's on us today. It's hot out here. And the smile and the, the disbelief. Hold up, like, so you're just giving this away for free? Yeah. Yeah. Who does that? Well, we do because we live generously. And that's such a small snapshot. But, guys, well, I could go back. If you haven't been here very long, you can go back and watch videos on YouTube of how this church has just made generosity one of its focal points. And we're going to continue to do that. And so it's not just giving generously. We're going to live generously because that's a heart thing. It's a perspective thing. It's how do I position myself to help someone else reposition themselves. Number five, we're going to multiply ourselves. We're going to multiply ourselves. Two ways. Number one, as Jesus followers, we're called to what? Create disciples, to make disciples. It's one of the last things Jesus says. He says, listen, I'm about to leave. I'm about to get back up to, to, to my throne and take my spot at the right hand of God. But he says, listen, before I go, here's what I want you to know. Go and make disciples. And I've got to believe, again, in an audience this size, that there are people who have non-Jesus followers in your group, in your circles, in your communities, in your friend groups. If not, you need to get some new friends. You need to go and begin to mingle it up with some people who, aren't, who isn't exactly like you. But how is it that you can begin to take on this concept that my goal, my calling, my commission is to multiply myself. Now, I've said this a lot. Don't go be annoying. Don't be annoying. Don't be weird. Nobody wants a weird, you know, Jesus person always. Every time I'm just trying to watch the Titans game, you're like, hey, man, touchdown. Speaking of touchdown, you know, have you scored in the, the, the end zone of heaven? That's weird. That's weird. Man, Mariota sucks. Well, you know what doesn't suck? God doesn't suck. Mariota's hurt again. Well, you know, Jesus can heal all hurts. Don't be weird. But be thinking about how is it that I can, by doing some of the things we've already talked about, living generously and making the Jesus, you know, making Jesus the center, how can I begin to naturally live in such a way that might cause my non-believing friends to go, hey, man, what, what is it? I mean, life's tough, and you've told me it's tough, but you seem to hand, you seem to rebound much differently. I mean, how is it that you can have cancer and still smile, and I don't get it? And you go, you know what? Why don't you come to my house group, man? It's just a group of people. We just watch the game, and we're going to pray. If you're not into that, that's cool. We might even talk a little, you know, but just begin to build those things organically into your life. But you've got to be aware of that. You've got to know that one of the calls that Jesus has placed on our life is to multiply ourselves. So that's one area. Here's the other one. We've got to multiply ourselves in way of leadership. As servants, as volunteers. I'm going to be really honest with you guys for a minute in this. We need to multiply some people on some teams here. We were about two people away from sitting on the bleachers this morning. 
because we need to multiply ourselves in some areas. Setup crew. Setup crew needs people. We've got people that's been on our setup crew from day one, five years. Same people setting up. And I know it's early and all those kinds of things. We need kids. We need people that are in love with kids and, and in love with Jesus and can, can work in those departments. We need people to be house group leaders. We need people who will be door greeters. We need people who will help tear down. We need people who begin to multiply themselves in those capacities whether it's a serving capacity, whether it's a leadership capacity, whether it's, it's a volunteer, I've got to begin to look and say, okay, who is it that I can train next? Who is it that I can train where if I get dog sick on a Saturday night, you know what, I, I know because I have multiplied myself in a way that I know it will get taken care of. And so we begin to multiply ourselves, not just in this theological Jesus world, but we begin to multiply ourselves in a practical world. Number six, we are risk takers. We're not afraid to fail. We're not afraid something's not going to work. We're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep searching. We're going to keep asking, what's next? What, what, what's the risk involved? We don't care. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're just going gonna, gonna to go. We're going to ask questions like this. I love this. What is it that our community needs most that no other church in this community seems interested in, in, in providing? See, that's risk-taking. What is it that we can provide for this school that no one else is interested in providing? What is it that we can do in the context of the community that we're placed in that no one else is providing? And here's the truth. We used to be really good at this. And then we got a little success under our belts and we began to tighten up because we felt like we, oh, oh, we got something to lose now. I don't know if you guys even remember some of these things, but we used to set up and provide like games and pizza in a laundromat. We used to do all sorts of things, and, and, and it didn't work. But we weren't afraid to go in there and try. And so I want us to get back to this where we go, listen, I'm going to go all in on this one. I'm going to bet high, high risk, high reward, and I'm going to have this attitude that says nothing is, again, off limits to give you a big southern phrase, we ain't scared. And we're not going to be scared of losing somebody or not, you know, or, or something happening. And I, we're going to be big risk takers. And some of you need to take some risk in your own personal lives. What risk do you need to take in your relationships? See, it's risky to say, I'm sorry. It's risky to say, hey, I, I was wrong. It's risky to do something financially. It's risky to do something spiritually, emotionally, so we're going to be risk takers. And then finally, I told you we're going to come back to all these. But number seven, we shape our cultures. And I want you to notice something about this. It's cultures, plural. I'll tell you what I'm talking about in just a second. But here's what I want you to know. You have a voice, and you have a choice, and your choice will activate outcomes. You have a voice, and you have a choice, and your choice will activate an outcome. 
I don't want to fuss, but I'm just going to kind of tell you what I see sometimes. Not out of you. We, we do it right here. Nobody here. Like, I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking about like other Jesus people that go to other churches. But guys, I'm tired of Christians acting like things are out of control and out of their control. And you know what I'm talking about. Our culture is going to hell in a handbasket. and there's just nothing we can do about it, nothing we can do about it. So let's just huddle up and, again, bury our heads in the sand or let's just let's get on Facebook and write really nasty things about the other side. If you don't like your current culture, then start shaping something different. So let me make it personal. If you don't like your current culture at work, then make something different. Work's such a negative place, and I'm going, well, you already are negative. Try this on. You have a voice, and you have a choice. What can you do to make your workspace a little bit better? Well, you don't, you don't get it, Jason. It's just everybody. Well, it, it is because it's you too. If you don't like the current culture of your marriage, yeah, but you don't understand, Jason, it's his fault. No, you have a voice and you have a choice. If you don't like the current culture of your family dynamic, you can shape something different. If you don't like the current culture of, uh, 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 of school, yeah, but Jason, you don't understand, man, everybody in my school, they just, you know, you have a voice and you have a choice. And when we, when we make Jesus the center of it all, when we know that we're not alone because we're better together, when I take on the characteristics of living generously, when I'm not afraid of risking something, you, you see where I'm going, right? We can shape cultures. Not just the cultures of our heart. We can shape the cultures of our marriage. We can change the cultures of our home life. We can change the cultures of our work life. We can change the culture of Goodlettsville and Hendersonville and White House and Gallatin. But it ain't going to happen if all we do is throw our hands up and go, well, it is what it is. You can keep doing the same things and expecting a different result. But that's just going to make you UT football. I needed to wake you up because I'm almost finished. I said I wasn't going to do that this morning. God, I'm sorry. I repent. But we're going to be culture changers. And we're going to shape cultures. So you guys go ahead and stand with me. I want to end this morning. I know today has not been filled with great stories and but this is exciting stuff. And so here's what I want to leave you with. We're going to be the church all the time, everywhere. It's what we saw in Jerusalem. It's what we saw in Rome and Greece and all the other places we could list. And so here's what I want you to do. When you begin to read the New Testament, especially from after John, when you get into Acts and Romans and so forth, look for these things. Because without exception... Every single one of those has all or some of those elements that are going to pop off the page and you go, oh, there it is. These people were living generously. Oh, there it is. They were selling their possessions and giving to others. Man, they're better together. 
They were setting and turning worlds, towns and cities upside down. Oh, they were changing cultures. So here's my question for you this morning as we end. Where do you need to start? Where do you need to start? The beauty of this list is that you can really kind of jump in. Now, some are going to have a little bit more weight to them if you kind of make some of the earlier ones priority, but you can really kind of jump in. And here's what I'm saying. You can begin to live generously and not have Jesus figured out. You can begin to to be better together and fill out a house group without having made Jesus Lord yet. Now, it's going to have a whole other meaning when you do. You can begin to be more positive at home and in your workspace and, and shift a culture whether you put your trust and hope in Jesus yet or whether you're living generously yet. The beauty of this is that you can insert anywhere at any time. But when you begin to culminate this this, this life that includes these seven things, oh, it takes off. And it incites change. It inspires. It stirs. So where do you need to start? Maybe for you, putting Jesus at the center of it all, taking that big jello mold and just mixing it in. Jesus, you get to touch the deepest and darkest spaces, and you get to touch these places that are so obvious that good is happening. But God, you get to be at the middle of it all. For you, maybe it's just saying, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna take some time and I'm gonna be intentional to worship. Wherever my body goes this week, worship's going to follow. Because I'm going to set my week up and say, okay, God, I'm going to live in in a holy anticipation of what it is you're going to do. And then when I see you begin to do it, even just a smidge, I'm going to return that back to you in praise, whether I'm driving or whether I'm working or studying. Maybe for you this morning, it's just, again, it's just walking out the door and saying, listen, this scares me to death. but I want to give a house group a try because I've seen what life is when I don't have a community and it's not always good. And there's some things happening in my life where I really could just use some encouragement. So I'm 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 going to give it a try. Maybe for you this morning, it's, it's just beginning to evaluate your life and all the components of it and say, how can I live more generously than I did last week? How can I multiply? Maybe it's going to next steps and saying, listen, I want to be a part of that multiplication. Tell me where I'm needed. Maybe for you it's taking a risk this week or maybe for you it's just saying, hey, I'm going to commit to creating a different culture in some spaces that desperately needs a different culture. And so I'm going to assume the responsibility of my voice and my choice. And so God, here we go. Because I so desperately want this to be a church that's so unique that our community can't deny its existence and our community would not be the same if we were not here. And I believe God can do that. But God is in the midst of doing that. And I'm so thankful that we get to call this home.